welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. Thank you as always everyone for getting in touch, the best place to do so, comments section below and if you've got a longer story maybe with some pictures to share you can email hi at Tuesday at Dobbs.com and there's also an Instagram page Tuesday underscore at underscore Dobbs. We'll begin this week with Harley Davidson Sportsters. I said last week I'm not sure if anyone really rides them that far for that big a distance in Europe at least. Someone pulled me up on it slightly and said yeah but Freddie let's be realistic here. If you look at Triumph Bonnevilles and see how many high mileage Triumph Bonnevilles or Motor Goodsy V7s there are, chances are there won't be many high mileage ones of those because they're not specifically long distance machines and there's a, a very very good amount of truth in that just to be completely level-headed with this but let's see what you sent in high mileage or very well used harley davidson sportster evos beginning with chappers 66 freddy i had a 1990 sportster with 120,000 miles on it toured all over europe still with the peanut tank i had it 18 years before i sold it I got back, see this is Harley Davidson's, this is why they're so special. I got back what I paid for it, originally from the American Part Exchange. Now I ride a shaft drive Suzuki Marauder, which is a brilliant bike for every day, winter or summer. Chapter 66, you've ruined it here for me. My only transport is this Suzuki Marauder, better than my dear old Harley Davidson Sportster. Onto Wide Phil, I had a current, or I had my current Sportster, a Nightster 1200, four years and I did 30,000 miles on it. I've been around Southwest Scotland, Belgium, and last summer a trip through France, Switzerland and Italy, all two up with luggage. My previous two Sportsters, I did 15,000 on each of them, traveling to France, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Germany with not one problem. On to Ronnie Pitt. These past two sound like some East London gangsters. We've had Wide Phil with a Sportster Nightster and Ronnie Pitt, who has a 2009 Sportster with 56,000 miles on the clock. I continue. I live in Pembrokeshire, the far western tip of Wales, and often attend events and rallies in all weathers across the UK with my partner as Pillion. There you go. Two up on a Sportster. Myself, my partner, and seven other friends. All of us on Sportsters rode across Europe to attend a Sportster-specific rally called Duo Celindre in northern Italy. Sportsters as far as the eye could see from all over Europe. All of our bikes performed without fault and all of us enjoyed the tour and had such a good time or such a good crack. We've organized a trip to Sweden in June this year. Again, this is another huge, huge selling point for the Harleys, for sportsters in general. The, the community that goes along with it, these gigantic events, the sense of community every time you go past a Sportster rider, every time you go into a Harley Davidson dealership, there's something magical. For many people, about 
the ownership experience of a Harley Davidson, just to be within that Harley Davidson, whatever you want to call it, clique, lifestyle, anything that goes around that is hugely appealing for a good chunk of people, including myself. I move on to Dominic. Freddie, I'm the proud owner of a 1999 Sportster 883, which has been in my custody since 2003. I've put over 20,000 miles on the clock and it's still going strong. The longest journey so far being a very wet and windy jaunt from London to Newcastle. The way I got the bike and how I bought it, one day a plumber came to my house and asked if I was interested in buying his bike. I dreamt of owning a Sportster since I entered a competition that the cigarette rolling paper company Rizzler were running back in 1991. So I leapt at the chance of going to his lockup and having a peek. He was selling because he was a bit too old and had fallen off it, knocking his confidence. It had just 600 miles on the clock and he wanted 2,000 pounds for it. What a bargain. On to Joe. Oh, Joe, this is one of my, one of my picks here. This old Sportster of yours is, for me, it's perfection. It's exactly how I imagine, in my eyes, my perfect Sportster, if I were ever to buy one. Freddie, Ari, the Sportster mileage. I bought, in 1999, a, a 98 Harley XL 1200S Sportster Sport with 4,700 miles on it and traded it a year later with 15,000 miles for a twin cam Dyna Sport. Jump forward to 2014 and I had an XL 1000 Ironhead Sportster from 1982, which I used daily and took several trips from Northampton to the south coast Chichester area. So yes, Sportsters are capable of distances, they just need a rider willing to do them. I move on to Zane. We're carrying on here with the Sportster theme without specifically meaning to, but it does often go like this with the podcast. Once a topic gets going, it, it runs a certain amount of course. So I'm continuing here with the Harley Vane indirectly initially. Freddie, impulse buying and financial freedom. I know that you must be tempted at times with trying a variety of bikes for review. Up until August this year, I own two bikes. One was a Harley Davidson Sportster, Iron, and the other a Royal Enfield Classic 350. I decided to sell the Harley due to not getting as much use, and in reality, it just wasn't practical for me to own more than one bike. I've toured across Europe on the Little Enfield and have been content up until now. The Enfield is a great little bike and is a joy to ride, but I now find myself missing the drama and sense of occasion that I got with this Harley. I recently took my bike for service and the dealership that carried out the work has a pre-owned Bonneville T120 Black in stock with exactly the modifications that I would choose for myself. So for me, this is a dream level bike. It has a classic styling like the Enfield, but would bring the noise and the drama that I'm looking for, plus more power than I would ever need. My issue is this comes with a cost and it would mean financing. 
So how do you weigh up financial freedom versus a dream bike? With another trip to Wheels and Waves planned in June, it's got me thinking. Any thoughts appreciated? Zane. Zane, this is one of my, weirdly, one of my favourite topics for biking. Because biking is freedom. Biking is, for me, the, the purest, most beautiful form of freedom. It's like a, a modern day cowboy with a horse. You pack up your bike, you head off, a couple of panniers either side, and you, you've got the world as your oyster. It's complete freedom. But how to balance the freedom that a bike gives you with the desire to own your dream motorbike? And it all comes down to individual financial situations. For me, for example, now, with a lot of trial and error having bought on finance for one or two cars before and one motorbike, I know my limits financially. I know that I can buy a motorbike on finance right now and I could pay £200 a month. And I know that £200 a month, I wouldn't specifically miss it. Any more than that, if I start pushing up to £400 a month for finance for my dream motorbike, for example, I'm going to miss that money. I'm going to get to the first of each month and I'm going to know, bugger, I've got that £400 coming out and it will cause me a certain amount of stress which would be unpleasant for me. And I know that if I bought a bike on finance and I was paying back £400 a month, I'd be worried about it. I'd be thinking, I need to make sure I've got that money in the bank at the start of the month. And I'd be thinking, can I really afford to do that trip in August with this financial overhead that I've now got? But if I stick to below £200 a month, I don't have that worry. I still want to be able to do everything I can do. And that's the key for me, Zane. Figure out the number in your head financially that you're happy to part with every month and it won't stop you going to wheels and waves it won't stop you doing big euro trips it won't stop you going for that night out or doing this or doing that that holiday that experience because I'll tell you from experience if you're pushing yourself too far with with repayments for a loan that starts getting really draining at about the seven or eight month point I've had it before and it's, it's very, very unpleasant. And it takes away the fun and the joy of, of biking. Buying the Bonneville was the best thing I ever did. And I'd got that on finance. The first bike I've ever bought on finance. And it was £80 a month. And it was fine because I could easily afford the £80 a month. But if I push up too much more, it would be an issue. So Zane, just figure out in your head the amount every month you're happy to lose. On the other side of that, of course, is the desire to own a dream motorcycle. And you've got to figure out where the desire to own the dream motorcycle outweighs the stress of having those overheads as well. Because there are some bikes that are just so special in our minds that we think, look, I would do anything to eventually be able to own one of those bikes. Eventually, for example, I want to own a Harley Davidson for little money incredibly difficult to get. So one day I'm going to have to bite the bullet if I want a dream level Harley Davidson. And I just need to decide in my head when that will be. I know I'm not quite ready for it yet, but one day, sometimes you just have to bite the bullet. Zane, let me know what you do. I move on to Beth. Freddie, I'm pleased to say 
I passed my full license and I've got myself a bike. My question for you is, I'm going to purchase an airbag vest, specifically the Helite E-Turtle 2, after much research. If I got the high-vis option, would other bikers think I look uncool and make fun of me, etc.? What is the general opinion for high-vis in the biking community? Just an FYI, I'm planning to only ride when there's daylight and when it's good weather throughout the summer here in the UK. But I feel if I wore black or wore a black one, more people would be likely to pull out on me on the road. Would really like to hear some thoughts, Beth. Beth, this is a brilliant question. I will say just before I forget this, I really, really would love to hear all of your input. So please do let me know what your thoughts are on, on whether you wear all the gear all the time, regardless of if you're doing a short coffee shop run, 20 miles an hour, do you still get fully kitted out, top to bottom in protective gear? Are you a more relaxed rider in terms of the kind of protective gear you wear? Will you just wear shorts and a t-shirt with a helmet around town, for example? Are you an American who doesn't wear a helmet in some states? I'd be so interested to hear all of your opinions on it. Let's get back, Beth, to your, your high-vis jacket airbag. I really, truly, truly believe that the only opinions the biking community will think are that you're being incredibly sensible. I think you'll only get positive feedback. We should all be allowed to wear anything we want within reason, so long as it's within the rules of the road. And the fact that you're going out there and being sensible, you'll get nothing but respect at all, Beth. And no one would have a lesser opinion of you, probably completely the opposite for the fact you're wearing an air vest and high-vis jacket. I think you get a lot of respect. I know that Moto UK, YouTube channel I like, He's a very, very experienced biker, and he never leaves the house without his air vest. Never. And he's been riding, I'm sure, I'm guessing, for 30 years or so. So it's completely normal whether you've been riding for a year or 30 years to wear an airbag vest with a high-vis ja jacket on top. Beth, welcome to biking. Send me a pic on on your first ride out with the jacket and with your bike. Moving on, what you're riding. Hi, Freddie. Shout out from Dubai. I'm currently riding a 2018 Royal Enfield Himalayan, which I bought new in Bali. In 2019, over the space of three years, while based in Sumbawa, Indonesia, I covered Picks, picks included. This is incredible. I covered over 20,000 kilometers on the Himalayan from a circumnavigation of Java, Bali, Lombok, Sumbawa and Flores to shipping my Himalayan to Dubai in 2021 during COVID and thus covering the UAE, Oman and just chuck it in there and a trip to Bulgaria via Iran. Turkey and Romania last year. My wife also rides a Himalayan and come June next year, just gets more and more incredible. We're relocating to Chennai, India, 
I'm going to bring my trusty bike along and go through the process of importing the bike into the country as we plan to stay there long term. Incidentally, our daughter, who is 10, has been on the back of my wife's Himalayan since her feet could touch the foot pegs. Noel, Instagram account, Royal Enfield Noel Einem. Apologies for that pronunciation. Noel, the last pick here, where you're, I assume, somewhere in the Middle East, just a guess, with all of the stickers on the back of the Himalayan for all of the places you've been. And both panniers are covered, covered in these locations that you've been. Well, I'm sure you will never part with that bike for all the memories it's given you. Moving on to Derek. Freddie, 20 years ago, I bought a BMW R100RT. Fairly high mileage, but well looked after. The only things I've replaced in 20 years are a starter motor, one hour, and a clutch and a gearbox. So one hour to fix that, and also a clutch and gearbox. Second hand, 300 pounds, fully fitted for four or in four hours in my shed for the gearbox. It doesn't get as much use these days as I have a Transalp 700 and Royal Enfield Classic 350, but I would happily take the BMW anywhere. The mileage, by the way, of the BMW is 169,000 miles, at least as the Speedo stopped working for a while. The main reason it's not used at the moment, I'm just enjoying the Classic 350 too much. On to John and something British. Freddie, please find attached a picture of my 1979 Triumph TR7V. Now much modified and twin carbs, plus many other modifications done just over the last 12 months. It is as sweet as a nut. And in that red and white, kickstart on the right-hand side, chrome exhaust, Perfect with the spoked wheels and the chrome front mudguard. Oh, John, it's very, very nice. I move on. On to Edward. Freddie, a little way back, around the time of lockdown, me and my brother decided, with our dad being a lifelong biker, that we ought to get our bike licenses. I decided to wait until spring 2022 to buy a bike. But my brother went straight in for... It's happened again. A Harley Davidson Sportster 1200. Fast forward to 2023, early 2023, and they announced the release of the Super Meteor 650. So I put in my order and waited a gruelling two months until I had my bike. My brother met me at the dealer and we rode out together through the countryside back to his house and celebrated, finally achieving the dream of owning our bikes. Since then, we've had some great trips. We've fond memories, or I've got fond memories of my first adventure, riding from South Wales up to Bangor in the summer, with a backpack and a bicycle pannier bungee strapped to the back. I rode up to my friends there, riding through Snowdonia National Park as an inexperienced rider with my hasty luggage set up, was a true, or was truly, the best feeling of freedom I have ever experienced. Me, my dad and brother also rode, pictures attached, 
also rode around Wales, again venturing up to Snowdonia for a night among the rainy mountains, then heading back down to Pembrokeshire and finally home to South Wales. An awesome tour, and since then I've been planning trip after trip after trip. Bring on the summer. I move on to Harley Troubles. Harley Davidson have unfortunately and I mean unfortunately because I, I love the brand. They've not been doing that well recently. I've got two bits of input here. The first is from Steve, lifelong Harley fan from the USA. I begin, Harley is only interested in their bottom line. They really don't care much about much else. They need money and they're pricing themselves out of business. I've never owned a new Harley and I never will. They will eventually wake up or maybe the US government will bail them out again. And on to Jerry. Hi, Freddie over here in the US. It's been announced. Ah, this is some positive news. It's been announced that the new Nightster model in the Sportster range has just been reduced by $2,000 for the 2024 model year. That's a pretty remarkable saving, I think you'll agree. Not sure if Harley have done the same in Europe, but hope springs eternal, Jerry. That is the 2024 Nightster, $11,999. So in pounds sterling, you know, see this is tempting. £9,400 sterling translation equivalent. However, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. If you want the entry-level Nightster in the UK, it will cost you £13,295. That is a good £4,000 more expensive than the US gets the Nightster. I had a look at a, an article from Visor Down back in April 2022. So that's close to two years ago. And the Nightster was £12,995. So to be fair to Harley Davidson, the price has only gone up £300 in two years. And when you consider inflation, that isn't insane. The problem is over £13,000 for, for, for Harley Davidson's probably entry-level bike is a lot of money still. Bruce continues, and I'm quoting here, supposedly the new Sportster is an epic sales flop. Let me have a look at that, Bruce, see if I can quantify that statement. I'm on Reuters here from October 26th, 2023. Harley-Davidson's profit slumps on weakened demand and shares tumble 11%. Harley's net profit fell to 198 million US dollars compared to 261 million a year ago. Harley's retail sales were down across all of its regions. North America, its largest market, declined for a third consecutive quarter. The company attributed the revenue shortfall to higher borrowing costs, get ready for this, and the discontinuation of its legacy Sportster model at the end of the year. Final bit, sales for motorcycles and related products fell about 9% to 1.3 billion and global motorcycle shipments, shipments decreased 20% during that period. If I go on here and I type in 
Harley-Davidson sales, Harley-Davidson sales figures. I can go on to harleydavidson.com because they have to show their sales figures to their investors. If you want to buy shares, for example, you need to see this stuff. And I can see that in 2018, Harley-Davidson sold 132,000 motorcycles. In 2022, they sold 109,000 motorcycles. That's for the USA. If we look at the EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Asia, back in 2018, to that entire region, they sold 46,000 motorbikes. 2022's figures, the most recent that I can get, that 46,000 number of sales dropped down, or that 46,000 amount of sales dropped down to 30,000. That is a huge, huge decrease in sales. The big thing for me with Harley-Davidson, there is such a glaring gap there that they need to fill. They need to have a bike for sale that can compete with the likes of the Bonnevilles. They need a completely basic, simple, old school strip back bike. The problem is they discontinued it with the Sportster. I really feel they need some cool, accessible bikes because no youngster is going to be able to go out and buy that Nightster for 13,000 pounds. You don't attract new bikers into biking with a 13,000 pound bike. It just doesn't make any sense at all. It's so simple. Harley have the brand, the heritage. They just have to make something cool and affordable. Get rid of all the fancy stuff and just strip a bike back. <sighs> okay, a labor of love from Keith. Okay, I love this. I was enjoying this, Keith. Freddie, I have attached three pages, see here, from a motorcycle magazine of myself building a 1975 BMW R96 in my living room during 2006 and 2007. Oh, and yes, the missus had previously moved out. Keith, thank you for confirming that. So this is an essence from Keith, an article all about him. He wanted to buy his dream bike, which was the BMW R. I believe it was the R69, if my memory serves me correctly. Wanted to buy it. Unfortunately, prices had gone up around about the £4,000 plus mark. So because he couldn't afford it, what he decided to do was build it himself. I'll just read a little excerpt here from the article from Keith. I begin. I fell in love with an old R69S on a trip to Switzerland, but could not afford the advertised prices of around £4,000. There was only one thing for it. I would have to build one airfix style. All I had to do was find an engine and just bolt bits onto it. I spent around 12 months searching for or searching auto jumbles and classic bike shows all over the country and found nothing. Then one cold and misty morning at an auto jumble in Hereford, I came across an engine perched nose down in the mud. I could go on and on, but this is brilliant. And the pics here of Keith in his living room, literally building a bike from random pieces that he found all over the place. And I move on to, hmm. This is interesting, Leon, no test rides allowed. I passed my full license in August this year on a straight piped carb Suzuki Bandit. 
After I passed my test, I had a list of bikes lined up ready to test ride. A Honda CB650R, Triumph Tiger 800, Tracer 900 GT and a BMW F900R. But my excited phone calls to dealers quickly became a massive disappointment as I was hit with rejection after rejection. A brief snapshot on the kind of feedback I got when calling dealers is this. You need to have ridden and had a full license for a year. You need to be 25 years old with a license and we can take you as pillion, but no test ride. Incredibly, these rules even applied to one two five cc bike. I continue from Leon. I spent seven thousand three hundred pounds on a Tracer nine hundred GT pictured a week after my test, but I had to buy it without riding it. It was a massive risk, but I love the engine and want to take it across Europe in the summer. But imagine if I'd bought it and hated it. That is a big commitment. I tested a 750cc Hornet before Christmas as a second bike. This is what gets really painful here. This is tough. So I tested a 750 Hornet before Christmas, but I had to spend hours organizing my own insurance for hundred pounds for a 45 minute ride. And I didn't even like the bike. Why is it fair that I could test a nearly new 22,000 pounds Seat Cupra at 21 years old with no issues, but I can't test a 5,000 pound bike with a full license at 24. Do you think the bike market takes age for granted as so few young bikers are getting licenses? Are young riders really crashing bikes off the forecourt? Leon, the biking industry, I don't exactly know how it works, if there are legalities, why they can't insure you. I don't really buy that actually. I just think a lot of the time the biking industry isn't doing enough to help out younger riders. I cannot see any reason why you shouldn't be allowed to test ride a bike. You're, in the end, you're having to go out with a complete gamble, spend a huge amount of money on a bike you're not allowed to test ride. And Leon, I'm completely with you. It sounds like madness to me. I move on to bike of the week. This is a bike that was shouted out three times about two weeks ago. I wasn't even considering this bike because I knew very little about it, but I thought this cannot be coincidental that three people have praised this bike all on the same day and it's not a good bike. I thought there's only one thing. This must be a legit, genuinely good bike. This is from Groovetastic Thang. Love that name. Freddie, check out the BMW R1200R, pre-2015. You're a roadster man. Need character and space for moniker to pillion on tours. Sub 5,000 pound roadster. I first fell for these, seeing Italian gents cruising around Rome in suits and shades. We know what you've sold it to me, just by hearing that. Let's have a look at this. BMW R1200R. This is 2006 to 2014. It's 109 horsepower. It's 198 kilos. But there is one thing that scares me. This is on MCN. MCN, they always write the, the annual servicing costs. And usually it will say 230 pounds a year, 180 pounds a year, something like that. Here on the BMW R1200R, MCN say that the annual servicing costs 
£760 a year. I hope that's a typo, because otherwise that is a colossal amount of money to be spending every year. It gets good results though on reliability, four out of five. Owners rate it as 4.6 out of five. And have a listen to this for the engine. This is from MCN with the BMW R1200R. Famed reliability meets the tuning fingers of a joker. There's a fair wallop of bottom end grunt and top end kick more than any naked bike has any right to have. Even though the old flat twin is very old design wise, the modern internals, electronics and injected fueling ensure the boxer motor lives on for a while longer to keep BMW purists happy. So what can we find in the classifieds for one of these very strong sounding bikes? Well, it's not difficult. Groovetastic Thang is not lying when he says you can pick one up, a good one for under 5k. I found a 2011 BMW R 1200R, £4,500, listed three months ago. Private seller. I'll just read a bit of this out. Here I have my BMW for sale, full service 2,000 miles ago, MOT with no advisories, front and rear tyres good, a Krapovich exhaust, variable adjustable riding position, and here's the key. It's got three keys, full BMW service history apart from the last one and the big one, full BMW pannier setup. So that is a bike just ready to head off. It's even got a little backrest for the pillion for the top box too. Thank you for that. Brilliant tip for a bike of the week. And I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much everyone for listening to this week's episode. Have a brilliant week and I'll speak to you all in the next one.